everybody. It's LOI Central with Dan and Johnny. Yeah, it's not long since the Champions League final, but uh, European football is back and it's going to be the main theme of uh, the 21st episode of Season 7 of LOI Central. Uh, We are on Zoom this week. We've had a little uh, technical issue with our uh, availability in all of our marketing, our usual spot, but not to worry because uh, our two guests this week are from afar. Mark Ogden is the senior writer with ESPN. Um, on football and he is um, fresh from actually watching the preliminary uh, Champions League qualifiers uh, actually met Stephen Bradley and um, Steve McPhail in Iceland to see who Shamrock Rovers will be playing wrote a lovely piece in ESPN which Dan tweeted from our account so we're going to check in with Mark uh, halfway through the show and then our main guest is Michael English who is the head of the academy at Mayo FC who are effectively uh, the newest would-be um, additions to the League of Ireland. We're in association with Future Ticketing, Rascals Brewery in Inchicore, and we're also in association with Collar and Cuff. Call to Glass Nevin for your free shirt and tie. And um, I suppose before all of that, Dan, Shamrock Rovers go over there after a somewhat humbling 2 0 defeat, and St. Patrick's Athletic have narrowed the gap to four points. Maybe we do have a title race after all. Well, yeah, you've preempted a lot of the mailbag questions there, John. Um, with that, I'm not sure about putting a hierarchy between the guests, like a main guest. Uh, I would, I would view all our guests as uh, on on an equal footing. Um, but yeah, no, like it's true. I mean, I suppose Europe's coming into the equation. Um, for Shamrock Rovers, I suppose in particular, they're playing next Tuesday. Where we'll preview their game this week because just we're not going to have another show out before it. And um, obviously, the Europe uh, Conference League stuff with the other clubs, we'll deal with that next week. Um. But yeah, I mean, uh, you kind of wonder in some respects, like, does Europe round the corner contribute in some way? I mean, clearly they no Jack Byrne, no Ferrugia. Um, would they have risked those players um, if it was a cup final on a, on a good pitch on Friday? I, I don't know the answer to that question. You know, like, we probably have to go off the fact that they, they weren't too worried about their injuries. Um, but, um, I mean, they have a bad record in Oriel Park. I mean, they won their earlier this season. And that was a bit of an outlier. I mean, was there was the Robbie Benson sending off early in that game. Um, but generally, like they have a bad record up there. Um, and it does seem like it's a combination of Rovers not being great and down a few bodies and the dog probably playing their best football of the season or putting in their best 90-minute performance of the season. Now, I wasn't at a, at a game on Friday. I was at a, at a wedding trying to follow, um, follow games next to a sort of depressed Bose fan. And um, so I saw more of that game. Um, but then when I watched the highlights, these FBI TV highlights sometimes, the highlights packages, I think there's a mixed, I don't know, there's sometimes good, sometimes bad, because I read the match report and there was a talk of Shamrock Rovers having a couple, having a couple of half chances uh, before the dogs breakthrough goal, but there's, there's no sign of them on the highlights. So on the highlights, it would make you think that pretty much the dog had all to play in the second half, and maybe they did. Um, but it seemed like, um, it seemed like they 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 really struck at a point when Rovers were weakened and dark in those games that Rovers previously haven't always done that. Well, Patrick Hoban is now up to um, second uh, to Chris Forrester in the top scores. And like that game you mentioned, the 4-0 that Rovers won. I remember you texted me before this joke because I had a good bet that night that uh, Rovers wouldn't win at the prices. And you said, you might want to change that and Dark don't have a recognised striker. And I was like, I'll be grand. Obviously, it wasn't. Patrick Holden's come back. Um, he, he was a record breaker, was it, last week. Um, he got that header to make it 2-0 after Anzi's goal. And uh, I have to say, Dan, like it, it kind of went a little bit under the radar of the narrative. But this is a really, really good run that Dundalk are on. And all of a sudden, uh, you look at the table, Dundalk have leapfrogged Bohemians by four points. They're actually only seven off Rovers. They're only three off Pats. They're only one off Derry City. Uh, they're the team in form. And... Um, I am. I just am wondering the the shape of the table coming into the sort of uh, the, the, the the we're well into the second half of the season now. But the, the, was, I I changed my mind a lot. But just maybe maybe last week will give um the others some sort of hope because this was a poor performance by Rovers, heavily criticised by Stephen Bradley. He didn't blame the pitch, even though I think privately he does hate the pitch. Didn't blame the pitch, but now they're going into this massive game against this Icelandic team and. Pats are the team in form in the league and Dundalk are, are bang up there. Yeah, well, just remember, Rovers are playing in draw to this Friday first. Like, we do have a round of fixtures. So, that's um, a potential banana skin as well. Yeah, no, like, that's a tough fixture for them. So, like, I, I don't know. I think, like, 
you know, they've a bit of breathing space after the Derry win and, and maybe do you just switch off a bit mentally as well too? Like you do you do wonder. Um you're right about them Dock being on form. Um I suppose the gap to Bose, okay, Bose do have those games in hand, although you kind of wonder about Bose at the moment. I mean, we've a lot of Bose comments in the mailbag. Uh, but I think in, in general terms, I, I think the thing about Dundalk, what, what they would take heart from is that they're in that position. And like, you know, they you wouldn't say even some of the wins they had earlier in the season, they were playing especially well. Like, I mean, I think O'Donnell has sort of said, Steve O'Donnell has said numerous times, they're like a work in progress, a lot of lads in their first season. You know, so to be where they are, you know, when they've probably they're probably still learning a bit about each other as a team, and um, possibly even more so than some of the teams around them, um, you know, is is pretty good work. I think the old XG people, I'm not sure they have them that high up the table. I think you know they've they they they've they've gone behind in a lot of games and and rescued some tight situations. Think of that court game in Oriel Park where they were almost done and they they won two one, like. They haven't dropped many silly points. Like they've come back, you know. Okay, you can look to the start of the season, UCD, and there's a couple of games, but generally, like they've, they're, I feel like that they're draining the maximum out of what they have. Um, so we'll see what they do in the window. Does anything happen there to give their squad a bit more? And um, just... you know, Tullock, Tullock is obviously gone. Um, you know, they've had one or two recurring injuries at various times, but they did miss Huben for a number of games. So I think like their position is is. It's a massive compliment to them all that they are where they are. Where I feel like, you know, they haven't they haven't necessarily been hitting the high notes. This is Rovers' last nine games now. I in 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 which they played Shamrock. Sorry, this is Bowes' last nine games in which they played Shamrock Rovers twice. So it's not a full round per se. Lost two nil, lost one nil, drew two all, drew nil all, one two nil, lost two one, drew nil all, drew two all, lost three one. And Derry's form um, is actually only marginally better. Derry obviously uh, beat Cork City quite recently. Um, but other than, since that, they lost Shamrock Rovers. They drew against Shells and just going into that game, um, they drew nil all against Bohemians, lost 4-1 against Pats, drew nil all against Shells, lost to Sligo Rovers. Um, it's a terrible run of form, actually, for both of these sides. Yeah, like you can, like you can, you know, you can wrap yourself in knots just reading out results and, and score lines and, and like, you know the nature of the league this year is everyone is dropping more points than they they generally do. Like you know, with the, as in from the top down, you know, Rovers from the top down are leading that. Like you know, their the the amount of points they've dropped would have cost you a league in another year. You know, in a sort of in one of the two horse races eras. You know, the Dundalk Cork stuff pretty much. So um, no, Derry's run of form is is like they're definitely paddling to the window, um, and Bows. I mean, I suppose Bose built expectations for themselves mm. um, by starting so well. Um, but it, I mean, if they hadn't come back to get that point in the derby, um, you know, the 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 sort of the Rovers game last week, then I think definitely there'd even be a little more aggro. I know that the, the kids then went out and won the Lancer Senior Cup tie, um, you know, which which probably just helps the mood and and reflects that you know the the future is decent there, but in the short term. I always sort of felt like, you know, like, you know, Declan Devine like started so well, but obviously that just builds, builds a bit more pressure and expectation yeah. and, and, and sort of it's a, it's a club where the moods can swing, like, like every club, to be honest, you know, yeah. um, but it's probably just because we, we know a lot more about those people that are quite a well-supported club. You see more of the angst when, when they're struggling. So, um, but it, it, they're definitely, I mean, I mean, nice to have Falabi take his goal very well. Again, in Sligo, is probably the only thing they can take mm. from it. The wind looked to be a factor. I mean, the Talbot for the second goal was horrendous. Um, but again, like, I mean, I feel like we could control C, control V a lot of these discussions. Like, let's see what they do in the window. What? Like, none of these teams are consistent enough. Like, you know, that's the problem. Pats have already brought in a player. Derry have already brought in a player, you know, and we're recording like on, on, on sort of Tuesday morning here. I'm sure there'll be more stuff announced in the next 24, 48 hours, 72 hours. Um, that might give these teams a little more because they all have obvious flaws. So, like, we can read out everyone's list of results, to be honest, and they wouldn't sound good. Just some are more pronounced than others. Yeah. Um, Pat's adding to their uh, historic Canadian contingent, but I have stayed on your honorable um, highlights. Um, a couple of the highlights that struck me from the this round of games, Go United, Kerry, and these were Go United highlights. Kerry, very, very unlucky not to get a result in Terryland. 
think Galway United would have been possibly the shortest price favourite of all time in that game. Very lucky to get a result. The other one, the Pats UCD game, it was one of these highlights patches that I just couldn't get to the end of. It was just so horrible to watch how bad UCD were, like so, so bad. It was like one of these like games where I was like playing against a bunch of kids in pre-season. Um, and obviously the narrative was around Pats bringing in a kid um, off the bench who'd come all the way up from the underage and Mason Mealy being the youngest player ever scoring the LOI, so on and so forth. Jesus, UCD were bad though. Yeah, Reese Reese Barkley, the player. Um, let's give him a name at least. Um, Congratulations, Reese. Yeah. Um, an amazing many moments. Yeah, like I mean, I, I feel like we're preempting a lot of our mailbag comments here because there is one about UCD in there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we should have production meetings, really. Um, but like there, there is no. I think Jonathan Rogers was on to us about that. Um, just about how poor UCD were, and th- and this is the thing. Like it's um. We knew when they won the playoff last year, it wasn't good. Like, it was great for UCD, great achievement for Andy Myler. I feel like we're insulting them all the time, and I feel bad when, when we sort of go down that road. It's no reflection on on anyone there, but but where the league is at at the moment, and in particular as well, see, there's a drop, there's a knock-on factor for the exodus of players um, from the top clubs in the sort of 19, 18, 19, 20 bracket. A lot of them going to League One that last year. Like, you know, would Tommy Larnigan have maybe been in a position to stay or or at UCD, like if there wasn't such a demand for any any players in his age bracket, for example? I'm just picking him as an example. I mean, yeah. like, you know, there's just the drain seems to be quicker. There's obviously, you know, Sam Todd is one of the players in demand um, this window. Like, you kind of wonder that the, the drain of that, the players in that age group is really affecting the, the UCD age group, that people are probably going to them earlier. For players, and I'm not sure if Lonergan was even a student there, but like I'm just saying in general terms, like it feels like they we thought that that maybe the, the loss of Carrigan and Whedon um would be the thing, but they, they almost lost the second round of players, you mm. know. Um, you know, like Yarrow went to Bolton last year as well. It's it's just that they don't have enough depth in that generation to sustain it. And just where the league is going now, um, there just there probably isn't a place at the moment for a team like UCD in the top flight. Now, the league can go to a place where, you know, who knows, he could crash and burn, have another serious economic issue, and, and suddenly you'll find the UCD are back in the Premier in a couple of years. But it does feel like... Could be a know, tipping point in that this is the end of UCD as a top flight entity, kind of. Within a 10-team league structure, it's just hard to see it. Now, it's, look, at they, they, they train together all the time. The players are, are so, you know, they spend so much time in each other's pockets that it's very possible that you could see how they could win a first division it could be more organised than a lot of first division clubs if it becomes very full-time Premier and part-time first division. But it almost feels like, you know, even just you looking ahead, um, like Drada, the investment is coming in. Okay, let, you know, Drada, Cork, Waterford, say, you know, who doesn't come up out of them um, or who is in the first division of them? Like you'd imagine that they'd be the strongest team in the first division next year and Bray are probably going to throw something at it as well. And it's just maybe hard to see UCD doing it in the in the short term future, um. But uh, it's true. I mean, I want to go back to the Galway thing. It lost over. Dan it. writing off Bray's uh, promotion prospects this season. Well, as well. In, in in the short term, in the short term, what's the story? Well, like Waterford are consistently getting bigger crowds than Galway, and Galway are, are streaking away fourteen hundred of that game with Kerry. Um, like Waterford's crowds are more consistent. Um, they're you know they they don't have the high ceiling that Galway have had for certain games. But for a team with streaking away, it's almost like you're it's like you're so bloody complacent about getting promoted, people are bored. Yeah, I, I can only I can only speak from my perspective of having watched them this season. Like they're still not a good team to watch. Um the football is not good. Um, you know, they, no, they don't help yourself here, Johnny. No helping yourself. This 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 the taunt isn't isn't working for you. No, but like I, I've what have I been to three or four games a season, and I've watched stuff. Um, like the 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 quality of the football isn't great, and it's probably a case like playing against Kerry. What were they fifty to one on or something? Um, in fairness, Watford's crowds are almost like surprisingly good because they've they're practically out of the title race, and they're basically playing out the season in some respects. So that's more kudos to them. I wouldn't really knock Go United. They the facilities are good. There's a lovely bar facilities. They've improved like the catering services. Um, you know they've done all they can. There's a, the 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 media team is brilliant down there so I don't think they can do much more um, Galway traditionally hasn't had great support I think next season Dan we'll see it at a, a very big level though uh, uh, sorry the other thing as well is no real away crowds at all so you, you, uh, fair play to the small band of Kerry fans who nearly cheered a goal in front of the away section but next year like Galway is going to be the trip effectively that every League of Ireland uh, away team wants to go on 
Yeah, no, that's true. And that will give it a bump. And maybe maybe club have been in the first division for so long that really you just need that Premier football football to spark people out. Uh, and I know sometimes like comparing crowds in the League of Ireland, you're talking a difference of a couple of hundred at times, not thousands. Um, but it's just a bit of an odd one. Like, you know, I would have thought it'd be more of a celebration season. Like you can imagine if Cork were shrieking clear, you'd have like three times the crowd week to week. But then look, like maybe that's just not an, un, it's an unfair comparison. But anyway, we're going to go to the mailbag in a second. But before that, let's wrap up our quiz business from, um, from last week. So the question was the, uh, for the guided tour of Rascals Brewery, can you, people name the ex-Dundalk striker who then scored against the League of Ireland club um, in Europe? So in fairness, uh, the, the the European question last week, we got like a handful of correct answers and really people struggled. The opposite this week, we got scores of uh, correct answers. That it was Stephen Lennon and Jamie Dunn came out on top of the uh, the draw. Your name came out, the magic hat. Jamie, so uh, a guided tour of rascals coming your way. Now, this week's question, we have a bit of a Mayo team this week because we have Michael English coming up, so I thought I'd do a Mayo-related question. Um, so John Mountney um, is the winning most Mayo man in terms of League of Ireland titles, um, clearly, with all his uh, success with Dundalk. But can our listeners name the other Mayo man who has won three League of Ireland titles since the turn of the century? So it's a Mayo-born footballer or ex-footballer who knows um who's 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 whose honors list reads that they've won three league of ireland titles in addition to some other stuff um so um it's a tricky enough question in a way or or you know would you naturally think of this person as a male person who knows um but but this is the the question so again uh loi central pod on twitter and on instagram increasingly we might push people towards instagram because twitter is completely all over the shop um as we know um, it's sort of like uh, it's like Twitter is 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 undergoing the peak six takeover of Dundalk. It would appear that everything was working fine for a while, and now you just don't know what's going to happen week to week. Um, and I mean, who knows? Um, just once you you know, I'm not sure how far I want to draw that comparison. Um, but anyway, um, get your questions into us, and let's go to the mailbag. It's time for the all new silk hand stitch collar and cuff mailbag. Let's dive into those stylish electric telegrams while we're still young. Yeah, Dan, I presume some stuff on the uh, Shell Takeover and so forth, uh, among others, this week. Well, you're just presuming. Have you have you read the mailbag? Do you read? I, do you read? Do you read? Like you, you read? You them? take ownership of the mailbag. I've I have yeah. gone through it. I haven't gone through read, everything at the moment. Do you just do you just spend your time in our social accounts reading climate accounts and like not actually reading the comments of our listeners? Like, did, I do see Watford are making a couple of sign-ins today here on Twitter um, judging on their social feeds. But no, sorry, go ahead, Dan. You are the master of the mailbag. And obviously, you you, you slated me for the one week that I had a go at it. So there you, never, you, didn't go, you didn't have a go at it at all. You just, My, you just bought, you just, it was like Monaghan 2012. You were just, it was just <laughs> gone. It was just like the mailbag ceased to exist in that week. You were busy with Tim and Luke, friends. Um, anyway... Uh, D McInnie, the first thing investors for Shell should do is buy some new fans. Um, this is a reference, of course. I mean, our mailbag picture on Instagram this week, people might have noticed, is Akon Ilikali. Yes. Um, with the uh, Turkish fans that appear to have popped up at Talca Park. I'm not suggesting he's bought them. Um, he's just a big name in the Turkish world. And it just seems that there's a couple of Turkish followers of, of, of Toddle Down to Talk. And to be honest, I actually think the Shell's crowds are fine. I think a couple of years ago, I would have been very disparaging about the Pats crowds, and probably rightly so. When you look at some of the clips going around, and they've grown it. Shells basically have done very... They're only starting in terms of doing stuff in the community. They haven't been good at it. I don't think I'm offending people there by saying that. Mm. Like I live I live very close to Talca Park, and they are not visible at all. And I, I'd be in a place that would be described as like Shells Heartland. And um, they just, they've done nothing. And like Pats have shown what can be done now. There's no doubt the cup final for Shells last year didn't work out like the cup final did for Pats in terms of like a really galvanised people in the Shells one that have ended up fighting with each other in some cases and it just it, it wasn't a pretty spectacle and as it happened I don't think it helped that all helped them with Sport Republic either um but sure you know life moves on sliding doors and all of that and they end up with um this Turkish owner who was on last week about attracting fifteen thousand to games and twenty thousand I was again at this wedding key in the Keen Tracy's wedding, Keen and Clodagh last Friday. 
so I didn't um, didn't get to attend this gig, and it got reasonable amount of coverage. Um, you know, there was some interesting comments from him that definitely are like old world League of Ireland takeover. You know, on about these crowds and stuff. They don't think it's sustainable. Speaking very openly about challenging for the title, and and um, I think Damien Duff's at the back of the room listening to how you know they'll be expected to challenge potentially for the title next season. So. There's clearly an influx of money coming in. Anecdotally, I'm hearing that as well. I'm not sure in the short term how much we'll see, but we might. Certainly next winter, Shells are going to be a big player. And you can imagine you know, some big players in the league who are out of contract might suddenly have Shells offers coming their way. Um, but actually, I just think look, their, their home crowds this season, I think, have still been reasonably good. They have. Relative, relative to what they were, again, in their, in their inverted commas, glory years. You know, um, they are better now. So, yeah, like... Uh, Again, like you know, I would have been so disparaged in a pass even home and away, and 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 Shells are probably four or five years behind that. They clearly have to get their shit together with the community stuff they haven't been good at. Um, but if you know, I wouldn't rule them out in terms of picking up some new fans. As for the investor, I don't know. I mean, the multi-club model needs to be called out. Era ninety nine says every club can dream but not desire to be a feeder club. I mean, yeah, I, I the multi-club stuff is definitely something that. I've probably not been as strong as it and some on, on some others. And maybe my perspective on the multi-club for, for our league is that you have a situation at the top where Shamrock Rovers are the top dogs and going nowhere. Right? Their model isn't going to change. Yeah. Derry City are going nowhere. They have a billionaire owner. A fan. That's not going to change. Bows are in very good health um, financially, the member-owned model. So you're probably looking at what you would have assumed to be the top three. And we want a full-time Premier Division and it's a case that maybe some of the other clubs that want to stay full time and be, you know, be around the Premier Division have to buy into these models. And I don't know if a feeder club in Ireland is as impactful in the European ecosystem as like a feeder club in France. When you have a team in one of the biggest leagues in Europe in a feeder model, that's odd. In Ireland, where our players go naturally anyway, we struggle to get value for them. Um, you know, we we're, we're, we have no TV deal. You know, we have a lot of issues. Um, is it that evil in that context? Like when our league is a, effectively everything feels like it's for sale, unless you have a wealthy benefactor backing you up, or you know, a very vibrant membership model that bows have that other clubs can't run with their fan base. Um, I don't know how I feel, but I, I obviously see that the integrity of the game, all the the wider threats your identity being subsumed into something else. I get it, but I, I suppose, do I see us with a full-time 10-team Premier Division without our club being part of this environment? I'm not sure. I don't know how you feel about it. I, I'm a bit conflicted because I, maybe I yeah. feel I'm being a bit, I'm a bit casual about it when I when I, sh- when I shouldn't uh, shouldn't be. I, I feel like there is probably a doomsday version of the people see like where players being planted, you know, and, and players being stolen and sort of all this going on, and I think there's like probably a lot of the, the, the Dundalk skepticism around Hull. I'm not sure if some of that stuff about playing styles and stuff was was really a viable concern. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what you think. Yeah, it's funny because like just an off off the ball this morning, we were talking to Jonathan Wilson, um, who had a piece in the Guardian about feeder clubs, and obviously, like Dan, if you if you read the word synergy in any sort of press release from a new owner, you're like, oh sake like i mean what what are we here you know but this is the reality of the league of ireland growing and i've i've said this a million times league of ireland fans may well in some years look back at uh when it was uh, a league that wasn't as well supported but was very much our own and look back with nostalgia because it will probably get to the stage where you get foreign owners like has happened at Chels, uh, an owner that let's be honest has no um emotional investment whatsoever in the country or area nothing it just fits in to an overall picture um that he wants to kind of better his his clubs he wants to better his kind of um stake in football and he may come in and do well for shells and I, I actually think he might well do well for shells i think he's saying the right things but now you have an owner who has no like go united are owned by the comer brothers for example the comer brothers are from galway they've made a lot of money why not plow it into go united when you have an owner like the peak six lads who basically came in um as part of um a business idea that went obviously horribly wrong it does it, it 
it's just that transition from the League of Ireland being what it's been for forevermore to a league that people see potential in in terms of European progress, see potential in potentially making money, see potential in synergy. And this is the reality as well. If you're working at the coalface of Shelburne or Sligo Rovers or Go United, as was the case, it's extremely hard not to mind staying in the Premier Division, but also just to run the club, to have enough volunteers, to have this or that. Um, so I, I'm like you. I've mixed feelings on it. Um, I think Shells fans in general will will welcome it, but with kind of reservations as well. Um, but I think it's going to be a thing going forward because how is how are the likes of draw to compete unless they're taken over? Yeah, that's the problem. Like they're not going to become a full time club, probably. You know, without some kind of investment. And the investors that are out there at the moment are primarily multi club people looking to add to their network. Um, and I, as and look and I, I, listen, they probably all think, in some respects, no matter what they say, that they can use their status to probably attract some of the best young players in Ireland to their club as a gateway to the UK. But there's obviously only so many of them to go around, and clearly, you need good facilities and an academy to attract people. Um, you know, will the multi club will there be a clamp down on these models in a couple of years? I mean, UEFA don't seem that arsed about it really. They, they say one thing one minute and then yes. they act differently the next. Um, but I suppose selfishly, if you can get some of these people to come in to build your training ground and your stadium, then that's great. I mean, like ultimately, the likes of the Peak Six and stuff didn't actually do that and left no legacy at all. And and previous owners we've spoken about, um, other than that training centre in Oriel Park. So, like, you know, can you, um, in the short term, to get to a full time Premier Division, you probably need to to get on board with this trend. But uh, you kind of wonder longer term where we're going to be but I, I don't know like I think maybe where these clubs are sitting towards the bottom half of the table they're not that much of a threat to people but if shells suddenly come along and become competitors at the top end um, then maybe um, it's, it's people begin to take a, a slightly different stance but anyway, we need to crack on here because we have to get on to our guests but very briefly yeah, we had Bo's comments how does the Vine not know his best 11 worse than Pep Roulette one win and nine not good enough the squad good enough is the Vine that's Podge Kelly with the first foul out boy with the second one. Um, we've sort of touched on the on the Bows thing. I do think like with Pat Fenland there, um, you'd imagine their recruitment will be very good in the coming windows. And I think Bows will be fine. But I think that brings pressure on on Devine and everyone there in the in the shorter term. Carl Mullen is asking is the Dr. Form team, are they in the title race? Um and Harry Whelan, a couple of title related comments. Um We've met at this far without mentioning RTE, although we were sent a, a clip of um, RTE comments from 2019 about cancelling their weekly highlights programme because of resources. I mean, all of that stuff hasn't aged well now, doesn't it? I mean, like they, they really are. I know we joke about the RTE stuff, and I don't know why. It still makes me very angry. Uh, it's mainly mediocre people earning big money in the same profession. Um, but the, the, the broader point of how they're going to get it from all angles now if they do stuff cheaply this year... Um, Know, not covering particular games, um, but then people on the ground could say, "Well, yeah, we're now now everyone's clamping down on us because of our rash spending, so we just can't we can't spend anything." It's it's a bit of a lose lose. Totally, like, and I mean, I I work uh, for RT every now and then, but like people are clearly just going to refuse to pay the license fee next year. That's going to be a big problem for them. A lot of people will just not pay after this, and um, yeah, I, I would I would relate to what you're saying there, Dan. You know, I know people who work in RT it's not like it's slave labor but we've we've had a lot of issues with uh, people not having the resources to do what they'd like to do as an everyday journalist because and I completely agree with you on this mediocre um, personalities and I mean fucking mediocre who earn savage savage money that they wouldn't get anywhere else and wouldn't even be recognized uh, in on public transport in Britain and um, because they've called the shots and their super agent and um, believes that uh, they're worth it so yeah I am angry over it and and uh, I don't know what the repercussions would be for the League of Ireland but to be fair to Declan McBennett um, and the lads that were in sport, you know, I'm, I'm not implying that they had anything to do with it. Well, no, no, like, I mean, this is the thing, like, they're, they're, they're subject to sort of, um, ah, look, like we were over it before. I mean, I, I definitely would have had some issues around that Dr. McBenna chat we had around, you know, RTE competing for stuff that, that was already being covered elsewhere. Mm. And, I, and I'm just not sure where that stands in the, the public service remit. But clearly, they were so desperate for commercial revenue that the, you need to go for the Champions League or you need to, to cover a Lions tour in South Africa, even though, you know, off the ball already covering it too and send a crew out there. That, to me, 
seems like you know not the wisest spend of money but then the flip side is they're probably under mad pressure to, to draw commercial to drive commercial revenue up because it's been falling and um, but when you see where it's going i mean oh my god like, i just can't even go there again but like if they if they publish this uh top 100 list i i, I don't see go, that oh, happen actually i think we're just going to be um we're just going to be popping valium i think you're going to see some of the names there it's like just in in, in energies um for like 150 grand a year i mean you can get an energies here um, for, for next to nothing. Um, Philip top, Clark, top, top earners in LOI Central are Dan and I. <laughs> Dan and I. And, yeah. and producer Derek. And, yeah. and But really, the real winners are our listeners, Sean. Um, <laughs> to, Tom Stafford, are we taking it the cover guaranteed for the playoff? They're looking at them. Shane Keegan, I know he's on every second show. He's working for the GEA for Off the Ball 42, like everything. Like I half expect him to come to the door and collect my TV license. He's got that many gigs. Not in um, the last, actually, last couple of weeks, I think. But he, anyway, yeah. he, no, probably not. Um, but he is uh, he is doing a very good job under the radar, um, I think, to be fair. Uh, and maybe his omnipresence and media takes away from that. Um, but there, he's done a very good job there. Um, Jimstagram, could smaller GA grounds around the country be used for LOI clubs? Well, I mean, we just need to get back. I mean, yes, absolutely. Um, but sharing facilities is obviously just historic reasons um, for that. Um, Barry, any thoughts on Alan Quinn? I mean, it is look, it's something that happened in the week just gone. I know he sent out a strong statement um, last night. He feels that Shells haven't supported him, that Damien Duff did, referencing a history of gambling issues um, and the severity of the ban. I, I Look, I think the offences, I think people have gone around to clubs and told them I think people within clubs know now you just can't be involved in betting and football. In some ways, part of me feels that the rules at the moment are quite harsh. Um, but then am I coming at that from the view of someone who likes a casual bet, you know? Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's difficult. I mean, a four-month ban, yeah, maybe that's harsh, but like, what, what should it be? Maybe it's three months, maybe it's two months. Either way, it's a... It's a strong sanction for someone either way, and I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if we're do you have strong strong views on it. I think it's I think it's absurd, like because um, and I mean we've had this before with Connor Clifford and lads like this who got absolutely ridiculous bans. I mean, like there's nothing to stop a player essentially texting me to put on a bet for him or her, and and I wouldn't think any less of him or her as long as he wasn't um betting against his own team and like having a few. I know like. Quinn, in fairness, has, has um, alluded to having gambling difficulties, and um, yeah, I think that, that's yeah, another but, issue. But like, obviously, like we'll say, um, you know, Neil Farouja having ten euro on the first score in the Champions League, but he's not allowed to because he played the Champions League. I mean, it's completely ridiculous. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, I think it's even tighter now, like in all football. I, mm. It is, but I mean, but then again, like I mean, there's no doubt that there's a high volume of problem gamblers within football as well. So yeah, you know, with their recreational time, so Neil Frugia probably I, wouldn't do that as well. He's too intelligent. Yeah, there's absolutely no chance Neil Frugia will be at that. No way. Mm. Um, those used to be boys. I'll I'll keep their money uh, in a lot of cases. There we go. Um, but yeah, Gavman, any word on Club Kildare CK United for men's team referencing the good foundations? I would say they'll all be in the discussion for a. A third tier or whatever happens there. Uh, St. Joey Pats don't get enough credit for their academy. Certainly, we did. We'll get back to Pats, I think, in the, in the coming weeks on their younger players. But it's true. Like we've referenced Reese Bartley, Mason Melia, what a player he is. Looked like he is going to be. But um, it's, that's the mailbag. We didn't have as many mailbag comments this week. The boy Glory got a move as well, Dan, to Swansea, didn't he? That they sold off. Um, they've had like some, and obviously Curtis as well. They've had some big names in really well. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there's 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 a there's a raft of them. Um, uh, Glory and Zingo actually missed the joint Swansea, but there you go. Yeah, he, he's joined their academy. You see, Kevin Zeffi might be moving as well. It's funny, like a lot of these lads going to Europe uh, at 16 feel like at 18 they're still likely to end up in England, and you kind of wonder about the the length of their contracts and the deals yeah. they're getting over there. Uh, they're sort of like apprentice deals, and again, it's it's sort of. You know, is, has Sam Curtis been disadvantaged by staying at home? You would feel maybe not, but um, every player, every player is different. But um, let's crack on with our guests, uh, and we'll start by going to Mark Ogden. Yeah, so we're joined by Mark Ogden, senior writer with ESPN, um, and a bit of a left field guest for our show. But then that's because Mark, you were doing a little bit of a left field assignment last week. So generally, at this time of the year, we might get on somebody to talk about our first Champions League opponent for the Irish club, might be a, a journalist in, in whatever country it is. Um, 
But you were in Iceland last week for this, uh, the preliminary round Champions League tournament. And you've written a piece about it, which we have tweeted off for our account, which is excellent. But uh, I don't know, just tell me about the experience of going to watch these four teams, which in fairness, you generally cover a lot of football at the other end of the game. Um, so this must have been something completely different. Yeah, well, I mean, look, the background to it is that one of my editors in the US has always had this big idea. So, look, wouldn't it be great to have the first Champions League game of the season? And, you know, yeah, it'd be great to do it. But, as you know, it's like most summers you've got a World Cup or a Euros or you've got international games or friends or whatever. But this summer's kind of a little bit blank. So I thought, let's have a look at it. And it, it turned out that, I mean, I just thought it'd be a one-off game in Andorra. That, but I didn't realise it was a preliminary round. So, obviously, it was in Iceland. And the reason it was in Iceland because the bottom four countries of the UEFA coefficient have to play off in the preliminary round and the fourth bottom team of that little group gets to host it as the highest seed. So all these little complex little uh, formulas. So I was off to Iceland for semi-finals on the Tuesday and then a final on the Friday. So it was the champions of Andorra, San Marino, Montenegro and Iceland. So it was an interesting trip, um, different, but... The good thing about it was, as you know, Dan, and we can get quite cynical doing football these days. The higher up you go, the harder it is to do the job and the harder it is to get interesting elements to it and get people talking naturally. Well, over in Iceland, everybody was so willing to talk and they were almost like flattered that we were there doing the piece because they, they never get the coverage that you know they want to get. But when you're there, you realise how big a deal it is and how, how important the Champions League is, even to the champions of San Marino who were beat 7-1. The guy who scored the goal was like delighted he scored in the Champions League. And there was a guy who played a 37-year-old midfielder who had delayed his retirement just so he could say he played in the Champions League. So the stories that you get there are real kind of human interest stories, which you don't really get at the top end. So it was, it was really enjoyable for, for my point of view that I could go there and tell the story and obviously watch the games. I did like this uh, piece from your, um, this little paragraph from your piece. Thunderstruck by ACDC booms across the stadium speakers as athletic club. The Scaldes and Buchanost uh, walk onto the pitch in the pouring rain. Cop af is uh, this is the ground is virtually empty save for 103 spectators it's actually 101 people at kickoff Shamrock Rovers manager Stephen Bradley and the Irish club's sporting director Stephen McPhail arrive at half time following the delayed flight from Dublin which is kind of an Irish thing to do you go over see a game um, hours and hours away but you arrive at half time yeah, well, to be fair, I was as Dan I was speaking to Dan during the game because I realised that Shamrock Rovers were the possible opponent. So he did say that the guys might be coming over. So obviously I'm sat there, we could all track flights on flight radar and I'm thinking, when are these flights going to come in from Dublin? And I realised it was late. And then it was obvious it was them at half-time. This, this kind of blacked-out uh, Mercedes van arrived and I thought, well, it's got to be those two. And it, and it was. You know, they both came out wearing football manager gear, you know, the black shoes, the white soles. And it was obvious who they were. So uh, I had a chat with them and, you know, Stephen Bradley was saying that it was an unusual opportunity to watch all the possible opponents. Because they played on the Monday night and they were playing on the Friday night against Dundalk, so they couldn't come out for the final. So, yeah, they, they basically sat through the, the second half of the, the first game and then watched the second game. So no excuses. They know exactly what they're facing when they play Brader Blick later this month in the, the first qualifying round. Yeah, I mean... And I'm just kind of curious, like even it, it runs through the quotes of the, the piece from various people, like what the opportunity to 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 you know to proceed in Europe means to these clubs. And I mean, we know it here in Ireland, right? Like every year, like Europe is a, is a massive time, and for some of them, it's just a cash grab. You know, stay in for as long as he can. Um, but Shamrock Rovers went the group stages last year, um, because they're domestic champions, they've got a better chance. And I think it was clear. From 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 your piece that the other domestic champions are thinking this way, um, but I, I don't know how you feel about how European football has changed, even in in our lifetimes. Where I suppose there was a time when the European Cup was for every champion in every country, and of course that was going to be out of date at a particular point. But now it's probably the other extreme, where like the the Conference League has become the Champions League for half of Europe, it feels. I mean, that's effectively what it is. It's just so out of touch for these clubs. They can never dream of getting near the Champions League. Well, that, that was my viewpoint. And, then, you know, that old football romantic in me, and I remember the days when, you know, the champions of England or Italy will play the champions of Albania or Finland or Iceland and, and smash them off the pitch. But it was the champions of each country. And I, I still held that view going out there thinking, you know, these teams should be allowed to play as the champions later on, but having watched the standard, I thought, yeah, you know, it probably, it probably wouldn't be great to have, 
you know, you'd be looking at maybe 10, 15 nil victories. But, you know, if Man City played the Champions of Andorra, I mean, come on, it wouldn't be fair. So I think maybe this is the right way to do it. And to be fair to the clubs involved, they all actually said that it is the right way to do it, to play at this level because they're not quite good enough or they're not good enough to, to match against these teams. The dream for them, like you say, Dan, is to either get a couple of games against lower teams and play a big team like FC Copenhagen or await the winners of the the type of Breda Blick and Shamrock Rovers, a decent Champions League club. But the Conference League is that the captain of Budaknos was saying that that for them, their fans, is the dream to get in the group stage of the Conference League because they realise that that is where clubs of that level, I guess, can, can aspire to because they have an easy route. It won't be easy, but I made the point of looking, you know, like Sheriff Terrasport got to the group stage of the Champions League a couple of years ago, but the guy at Budaknos said, look, they pay massive money. You know, Montenegro, yeah. if you're a good player, 17, 18, you move abroad, you move to, to Serbia, to Croatia, to Italy. And then, you know, the, the teams in Montenegro, who, you know, this team, had, they were the first team that, that produced Dejan Savicevic and Predrag Mijatovic, two Champions League winners. So they've got a proud history. But they're saying we can't compete now because all our best players immediately go overseas. So I guess it's probably similar in Ireland where, you know, if you've got good kids at 15, 16, 17, they'll be picked up by the, the Premier League teams. Well, it's changed a little bit with Brexit is the only thing, but the, yeah. the principle is the is the same, you know? Yeah, well, exactly. It's, you know, if you've got good players, they will get young players will get taken by the big leagues. So it's harder and harder for the the smaller countries or the, the lower ranked countries to develop because the best prospects have already been taken away. So I do feel sorry for these clubs that they really don't seem to have a chance. And we mentioned Terrace as well, that their team was made up of, you know, Africans and Brazilians. It wasn't made up of players from Moldova. So it is hard and it's it's a challenge, but but Europe does mean an awful lot to these players. You know, the players from Andorra and San Marino, this was their this is their cup final. This is their the, what they look for to every year. They're playing in places they would never go to. And it was funny on the day of the game, I was having a coffee, I was walking through Reykjavik and I just sat down in a coffee shop and what it cost you like twenty-seven quid or something. <laughs> yeah, something like that, yeah. And four or five players with their San Marino the Trey Penny club gear on headed towards me on these electric scooters through the centre of the back, I think you wouldn't see that in a Champions League at Man City against AC Milan you know the City players riding through on the day of a game but maybe that's why they lost 7-1 yeah that's true unless Jack Greener should be out the night before so. well, yeah, true. <laughs> as the story goes but tell us about Bradeblick then because myself and Johnny actually we were in Iceland um, for the FH against the Dock game in, in 2016 um, and I think actually in recent years, Irish clubs and Icelandic clubs have, have met quite a bit, um, just as they tend to do in these sort of preliminary rounds and it's geographically grouped. Um, but Breda Blick, it seems, they sort of fancy themselves and they fancy Copenhagen. I mean, what sort of sense did you get out of them as a club and what they're like? The club, they're very impressive. You know, they've got a great setup there. They've got um, Premier League style training ground, actually. It's a multi-sport club, so they, they do all sorts, you know, taekwondo, basketball, judo, everything. So it's, it was a hive of activity all the time, women's teams, kids' teams. So it's obviously a big deal and the, the, the very well-run club. But, you know, not a single player on the Iceland team at the moment plays in the domestic league. They all play abroad. So, you know, Brady Blick are a team of young players or players that have played abroad that have come back, like the captain, you know, Hoskelder, Gunn-Logson, who's a good player, right back but centre midfield. He tends to, you know, a bit of like a Joshua Kimmich-style player. But, you know, he's a very good player, but he's 29 now and he... And he he shares his role at bread with a with a bakery that he runs, you know, making Christmas cakes. So they they are part time, but they're a fit team. Obviously, the advantage they had in this competition was that their season is, is halfway through. So a bit like the guys in Ireland, so they won't have that advantage against Shamrock Rovers. But they're a good team that they've got. They're well organised, but I do think that they will find it difficult in the next round because although they got the they got the astroturf pitch, which would be probably an advantage uh, in that in the first game. Physically, I just think. I imagine that Shamrock Rovers will be a stronger team, a more imposing team. Because, you know, the higher you go the, the football food chain, the, the bigger players are, the more athletic they are. And they were quite a small team, uh, Brady Blick. So I think that will be the advantage. I think over two legs, you would fancy Shamrock Rovers, in, in honesty. But they, they won't lack for energy and tenacity because they, they've got that about them. They've got a real kind of desire to win. But I do think over two legs, they'll, they'll probably find it's too tough. Yeah, and like I think you you allude to this, Dan, as well. I mean, Icelandic games against Irish teams can be quite close, but um, what would the experience be for anyone going over from Ireland? Um, I know Rovers have a patchy enough record on on AstroTurf surfaces, but I think Stephen Bradley alluded to this. This is a it's a nice four G. 
Yeah, it looked a good pitch. It, it wasn't one of the old ones that I remember back in the day when you know I used to watch Oldham Athletic and Luton Town playing on these very pale glory games. days. Yeah, exactly. You know the, the the niche redders. But no, this this looks a good pitch. Um, I mean, what can fans expect? Well, I hope it doesn't rain because the away end, which is empty for these games, was just an open open area. Uh, it's just it's an athletic stadium, basically a very small athletic stadium. The the big issue is it's probably about a thirty minute drive from the airport, which is probably about hundred pounds in a taxi. It was it's expensive. So the the one thing you tell the fans is it's going to cost you a lot of money to 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 spend a day or two in in Iceland. It, it's five it's five minutes outside of Reykjavik. It's not far, but it's um, you know I know that there's a lot of flights from from Dublin to Reykjavik and vice versa. So that's it's not like you're having to go to Armenia or Azerbaijan and, and spend three days getting there. But the cost of it when you're there is is pretty extortionate. So uh, it won't be a cheap trip, but it'll be you know it's, it's an interesting place, Reykjavik. But it's um, it's expensive. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed it a lot, um, and uh, I, I'm not sure if any Icelandic journalists are coming over just to listen to Shamrock Rovers. And I know Rovers themselves were worried about getting them um, a flight, um, a charter flight, particularly uh, over to Iceland. I suppose one thing, Dan, that that you'd you'd uh, your ears are pricked there is the facilities that this club has at its availability, which is very topical here right now. Well, it is, yeah. Well, again, Johnny, like we remember our time and our trip there. Like it was that was 2016. Like that's when Iceland had just had the Euro 2016 adventure, and they pumped all that money, a lot of that money, into their clubs. And I know that their international team has had a little bit of a drop off now. Um, but as as Mark mentioned, all their players are now playing uh, externally. You know, they're playing in other leagues, and, and I mean, yeah, the multi sport club. There's a lot that they're doing. A lot that they're doing right. So. Um, yeah, no, it's it's uh, an interesting thing. I mean, they they really fancy Copenhagen, though, Mark, don't they? This is the yeah. thing. They're they're like uh, sometimes you'll have an Irish club who will be playing Celtic if they get through, say, a Champions League tie, and it becomes distracting. Like that's definitely in their mind. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I didn't really know much about the history until I went for a wander around, but obviously Denmark we, we controlled Iceland for for centuries, so there's mm. a, a regional rivalry there, and, and FC Copenhagen in terms of that part of the world that. They're a big team. They're always in the Champions League. Or they're very much a regular participant. So the, the prospect of playing against FC Copenhagen is, is massive for, for Brady Blit. But they were also they were very respectful of Shamrock Rovers. That, that I think they're like you said they, they, they come across Irish teams quite a lot. So they're quite respectful of, of the level of, of, the, of the standard as well. So I think they, they expect a tough game. But yeah, it, it's it's a real kind of cherry on the top for them to possibly play FC Copenhagen. So so have you got a taste for it now? Do you want to be covering Trey Penny and their Conference League? Tell you wherever they end up, or as you know, I well, mean, I did think that you know maybe it'd be a good idea to uh, to just follow the thread, you know, so follow Brady Blick and then follow Shamrock Rovers all the way through to wherever. But um, I'd like to have a month off football to finish. So July is my yeah, football nice. month. I've got to go to the Women's World Cup in August, so uh, for the knockout stages. So you know, I need to uh, I need to switch off and see see where they are when we get back from Australia. Well, it's true, you know. I mean, I would say is it is nice to operate sometimes at a level of football where people want to talk to you. And I mean, and on a serious point, like I mean, this is the thing. Um, I like, and even the League of Ireland here is changing a little bit. Things are a little bit tighter. Um, but it's amazing how much more enjoyable it can be to cover something when you can actually speak to the personalities and the characters involved and get a feel for them. You can never get away from that. Yeah, and I think the, the feedback I've had on social media, which is generally ninety nine percent negative, on this occasion. <laughs> It's, it's been positive, and I think I think people want to read about it as well. I think I think you know football fans, readers are, are probably fed up of the the sanitised PR speak that you get from Premier League international footballers, and I think they also want to hear about football at the grassroots and and hear the stories that they can identify with. You know, we don't want to be told about you know ex Premier League superstar and his and his supercar or his clothes or whatever. We just want to hear about football as we remember it as kids and aspire to you know you know the the, the kid from San Marino who's a delivery driver, has scored in the Champions League. Now, all three of us would love to say we've scored in the Champions League. Never done that. Mm. To have that ability to say it, even if you're playing for the Champions of San Marino, it's still, I've scored in the Champions League. I mean, wow, you know. And just um, yeah. just to wrap as well, I I'm, I'm I don't know if you remember, um, you may not remember Neil Ogden, who played for Sligo Rovers, and it was a bit of a cult hero at Galway United, but whenever he scored, we used to do the Coronation Street music in honour of Hilda Ogden. You remember Hilda? Yeah, yeah, back in the day, yeah, that, yeah. Cultural reference had a date there, but yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you do, Dan. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's our cue to finish this. Not, uh, thanks for that. Thanks for that. Yeah, the one thing about Mark is you don't get to encounter Johnny too much uh, if you're if you're at the off restaurants of the Champions League. But uh, there we go. Uh, you might see him in Iceland. Is, there we go. 
Yeah, we really appreciate your time. Um, and I would recommend anyone who hasn't already to go uh, seek out that piece on ESPN. As I said, we've tweeted it out, but it's a great insight into what is a pretty quirky competition at uh, the primary round. So, yeah, thanks so much, Mark. Great having you on. And we will speak to you soon. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, thanks to Mark Ogden. Um, and we're going to go from one beautiful part of the world we mentioned, Iceland, to uh, Michael English, who's a... Uh, well, a one-time footballer who's suffering from cruciate injury with Ackel, which is stunningly beautiful part of the world. Um, Michael is also the head of the academy at Mayo FC, but this is like an interview with some lad who's just forlorn because he's just done his cruciate, but it's a little bit different, Michael. Uh, it is, yeah. Look at him. Yeah, I suppose the playing side of it not going so well. Not that there was much to write about in that account anyway, but um, yeah, no, the Mayo FC stuff has really taken off, I think possibly a lot more than we had expected but um, yeah it's great to be involved and it is an exciting project the, the, the thing yeah. as well um, like Ackle I mean I'm just looking at how far how far away is Ackle to get to like where Mayo FC are going to be playing I mean Ackle is and hopefully this will be representative of the whole, whole county when it happens uh, yeah I know look it's only 40-45 minutes away really and like to be honest um, a lot of players from around the county who would have been playing for you know across the Mayo League and even um, for Mayo teams in the past will be travelling that and more you know it depends where you're go. you know from one end of the county to the other you could be talking an hour an hour and a half so you know it is it's geographically it's a big enough area anyway but yeah 40-45 minutes isn't too bad at all So Michael just break it down for us like how long has this been going on how has this come to fruition I, I know that Mayo previously had a presence in the League of Ireland Underage League but that was under the auspices of the School Boys League Um so just yeah, just explain how this this launch that you had last week, uh, which it seems to be very well attended um, by sort of various figures, various politicians, various people from the FAI. What was the stages in getting to that? Yeah, so I suppose the School Boys League ran it quite successfully over a number of years. Um, I think from around was it twenty fifteen or sixteen, whenever it started. But um, for whatever reason. Um, there were no teams in for the 2023 season so it was kind of felt that I suppose something sort of you know that the, the opportunity was there but I think um, just to have someone to take it take that opportunity so the Mayo League kind of stepped forward um, to I suppose get it going but at the same time they are two very much separate entities like a separate company has been set up Um you know, it, it is very much its own entity, albeit a lot of the same people are on the two committees at this point in time. But um, essentially, I suppose, contact would have been made to the FAI League of Ireland Department, so Mark Scanlon and his department. Um, and I suppose it kind of grew from there. Meetings were had. We had to bring a proposal to the table, which we did, um, I think, in a few months ago. Um, and then it was accepted by the, the National League Committee. And I suppose we got the go-ahead for the launch. Um last week um, and I suppose within that we have the three teams next year the 14s 15s boys and 17s girls but plans are in place then to expand on that as the years go on and hopefully have senior men's and women's in the next few years How do you fund all this? Um, there's a fundraising committee in place so um, I suppose the perception is there that you know Mayo have always been good to their sporting teams and athletes over the years and like we do have a lot of you know, very big multinationals in the county, but also a lot of um, small businesses and stuff like that too. And, you know, there are a lot that are already in the sporting world as well. The likes of, I suppose, Elvery's and Port West involved with the GA, but you also have Abbey and, you know, the Allegan factory that would have, you know, they're, they're heavily involved, I think, with Sligo GA and stuff as well. But a lot of these places, um, you know, there's a lot of goodwill and there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of places in the, in the county that are willing to step forward. Like a lot have already stepped forward to us, which is great to see, but, like that, it's not easy um, at the minute. And I suppose there is a finance committee in place. It's kind of out of my remit. Um, I leave that to the experts, but it won't be easy to get that money in. But yeah, the plans are in place to a degree, but I suppose a lot more engagement will be needed over the next while. Yeah, and I mean, what's the reaction been like then? Because I mean, you're living in Mayo. I mean, we've spoken a lot in this podcast about the Kerry FC thing um, and what struck me going down to relief for their opening game was like the local media, the coverage that really, you know, there's, there's a world within a world there. And I, I think Mayo was actually quite similar in terms of like local papers and the coverage of the Mayo GEA team. And it's exceptional. And, and there's a, there's like 
a good strong sort of media within Mayo. Like, have they been sort of given a good coverage and, and are, you, are you getting good feedback in terms of sort of the local airwaves and, and people you're encountering? Yeah, it's been brilliant. Like there's been a lot of coverage across the four local papers and Midwest Radio, the radio station, and even, you know, the likes of yourselves and the national media too. But like like you said there, there is a, a big football community in the county. There are over 8,000 players registered across the Mayo League and the Mayo Schoolboys League and the Mayo Women's League. So like there's a huge, huge football presence in the county. And as well as that, like there is a big enough contingent of League of Ireland players as well. Like there's likes of, Paul Doyle, Gary Boylan, um, you know, David Cauley, John Mountney, Rory Keating, um, and even young Daniel Kelly in the Sligo Rover squad for the first time there at the weekend. So, you know, like a lot of people, there's a huge interest in football in the county. And I suppose we've always produced players that are within the league to a certain degree. So I think the next step was to get something going in Mayo because I suppose when you are coming into a place that is traditionally a GA stronghold, people might struggle to a degree to follow maybe Sligo Rovers and Galway United just with that parochial element so to have something that they can really get behind is massive as well you know Yeah and I suppose I mean the thing is like as as if you're like a proud male person is there always mixed feelings obviously there's pride if you see you know you mentioned some of those players there you know particularly even the Sligo Rovers academy in recent years has been a heavy male presence and again like they come through the ranks there and they're obviously flagged as their homegrown players but clearly there's got to be a part of the Mayo psyche that's 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 niggling away at you in some ways. Well, it is, but at the same time, the pathway wasn't there for those players. Yeah. So, you know, like, um, it's not, I, I, I wouldn't see it as a negative, but I suppose to have the opportunity for those players to progress and wear a Mayo FC jersey down the line, you know, it would be the dream to have that senior team in place with a full team of Mayo players and, you know, um, potentially have, a, you know, a Mayo grown international player ultimately that'll be the dream I suppose yeah and there hasn't been one which is sort of mad just I mean the, the obvious question everyone's probably asking you but the, the timelines are in the senior team have been left a little bit vague um, is that to do with the the third tier start being unknown or is it possible Mayo could try and apply for a first division in a couple of years and just on that what are the facilities like for people who haven't been there in terms of like a potential venue where you would play um, that's obviously a very important part of, of licensing to get there too is to actually have a, have a ground yeah so um, I think when we were starting off with this we kind of wanted quite a gradual build up of teams so say next year we might bring in 17s boys and 19s girls and so on it would develop kind of team by team year by year uh, but and again it's all to be confirmed like we don't really fully know the lie of the land but when the time comes it could be a case of stepping into a third tier or it could be a case of applying for the first division. So we don't really know the lie of the land. The third tier could come and it might be a case that we just have to step up or it's a case that it might be longer term and we move towards the first division and like that, getting facilities in order is, you know, an issue. That, well, not an issue, but, you know, there are a number of projects to be completed within that. Um, I suppose, I'm not sure if you know my background, but I was in the FAI in facility development there for a while. So, um. Yeah, on the on the Mildbush side of things, um, it is it's a great facility, but in terms of getting, I suppose, a league license, it might need a little bit of work. Not so mm. much around the stand and that kind of thing, but more so around changing rooms, around you know all the ancillary stuff. Like there is actually quite a good media area there, but you you know yourself, all the other ancillary bits like control rooms and that side of things. That's where the gaps probably are at the minute that need to be where overcome. Is it, um, it's in Castlebar. It's out kind of. It's out the Bannon Road, Road in Castlebar. Uh, okay. And it will be. And see the other side. Of that is. It's the Mayo League's headquarters. Um. So it's you know it's the league centre. And at this point in time, the FAI run their regional emerging talent program out of it. The ETB have their course in it. And the Schoolboys League run teams out of it. Um. You know it's very much a a centre for the Mayo League. So I think you know, there's probably a longer term strategy that the Mayo League themselves have to look at as well in terms of what they would like to see for Milebush in, say, 20 years' time as well, you know. Um, so, you know, we have to stand on our own two feet to a degree as well. Astro or grass? Grass. Um, okay. There's no other pitch at the back then as well that's used for training. But yeah, the pitch itself is grass. 
Okay, well, that's that, that's good to hear, yeah, and um, that that's going to be interesting going forward, I suppose. It is interesting you just mentioned all those players of Mayo Heritage, like, because feasibly as well, there would be a lot of Mayo kids who've gone to play with Galway United or have gone to play with Sligo Rovers, and conversely, I'm thinking as well, there are a lot of players in Galway, Sligo, and in Connacht in general, who, if they're not capable necessarily of getting a game with Sligo, with, with Sligo or Galway, could graduate towards thinking Mayo would be a good option for them. It could well happen, and I suppose as we get towards a senior team, and just hypothetically, you, you know the way it's looking, Galway United are going to be in the Premier Division um, with with Sligo, and even like you have Longford Town and that Lone Town reasonably on the doorstep as well. Mayo players have been travelling there over the years, Um you know it. W- I suppose if there's a third tier, hypothetically, you know it's an easier transition for players to get senior football by coming through the Mayo ranks. Um, but you know, I suppose the ambition would be to get to the first division and ultimately the Premier um, and compete with the best teams. You know, um, because I think looking around it, if you were to put together a squad of Mayo players, it would be quite strong. And I suppose if we have that full academy back and coming through, where we're constantly producing players, you know, you really see the Sligo where you have players coming through. Even in the Mayo sense, the goalkeepers look like Nicholas and Connor Walsh recently, and mm. you know, all those players have come through. Um, even Mark Byrne, some of those kind of players are featuring, you know, so um, it's great to see that. And, um, yeah. sorry, Daniel, just briefly, like, is, is there any help from the FAI for this stuff? Like, what's the incentive for the next carrier Mayo to do this? Well, I suppose everyone knows where the FAI are at financially and all that. Um, so, like, they can't really give us the financial backing, but to be fair, in terms of setting everything up and giving us guidance, Max Gannon and his team have been brilliant, and in terms of getting the academy set up and kind of what they require and what they would like us to achieve. Will Clark and his team have been absolutely brilliant as well. So while they won't be able to give financial backing at this point in time, you know, they have given us an awful lot of strategic backing and guidance and advice and stuff, which has been invaluable. But you'd like to think, and I suppose with the facilities case for investment and that kind of thing, that, you know, we might get part of the funding there that can help, you know, expand the facilities for the club going forward as well, you know. Just, just finally, from from me, Michael. Anyway, I mean, I actually don't like how sometimes these things turn into a competition between sports discussion. Like you saw a little bit of that in Kerry, small bit, but people are like, "Oh, is this bad for Kerry GA?" And you're like, "Well, of course not." But I'm just curious, like the the participation numbers in Mayo. You mentioned them there are quite healthy, um. But like, would you have encountered over the years like quite promising players who who may not have continued with the sport there because there was no local focus if you know what I mean because I assume um, again like it's the fact that Mayo have it's just stark to me that Mayo haven't had a, a senior international homegrown and yet it obviously has elite athletes and other codes it just it just it just to me screams the untapped potential that exists within the sport in this country and, and surely there has to be a relation between what you can see locally and that statistic there is yeah like I think if you look at well, if you're going back towards the likes of Kennedy Cup teams and stuff like that, the likes of Killian O'Connor, other lads like that would have played in the past. Dushin Mullen, who's over playing AFL in Australia now, like um, they would have all played Kennedy Cup and stuff like that. And even on the women's side with the likes of Sarah Rowe there, you know, she's with Bose now, but obviously played for Mayo OGA and all that. So I actually played know, against she, Andy Moran as a kid as a kid. He would have been an unbelievable soccer player, I think. Yeah, I think was he in the Roscommon League with Ballard yeah, Green, was it? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um but yeah, that's it. Like and all I suppose GA is dominant, but I think, like you've alluded to there, there has never been a focal point for football in the county in that regard. Players always, you know, went on towards the likes of, you know, Sligo Rovers and Galway United historically, but to have that focal point, I suppose, really gives those players an option. Um, because I know on the other side of it, with the academy stuff, travel is quite an issue for a lot of parents in particular. You know, bringing their players up and down to Sligo or Galway is no joke for you know, two or three times a week, if not more, as Absolutely. they get on. So I think that's, that in itself is sort of a barrier um, to players continuing in the sport at that level. So they end up just naturally gravitating towards GA. Um, but I suppose the option will be there, but I think it's important that we're very collaborative in the way that we approach it because, you know, a player might opt to play for minor, for example, but then doors might close for them. And if they're still quite a strong football player, you know, you'd like to think the Mayo FC option is there potentially at under 19 and that they might even you know progress on to seniors from there so I think it's very very important that we have an open mindset and that it's not necessarily 
one versus the other and that everyone collaborates together to a degree. So, you know, down the line, like I think is the Kerry FC keeper, was he playing? He was involved in GA for, I think, a club down there and stuff, you know. So like that level of collaboration has always been going on over the years. So I think it's important we have that open mindset and not be closed off. Yeah, I think one of the best pieces of skill, uh, soccer skill or football skill, whatever you want to call it, last weekend was David Clifford at Crow Park out of the hands. Like, and it good. I think that was a nice synopsis of where you're at. Best case scenario, when is Mayo in the League of Ireland with a senior team? I think being ambitious, probably 2026, maybe three years from now. But in all honesty, it might take a little bit longer to get there. Um, you know, I suppose that that is very ambitious. And I suppose there's a lot of work to be done there in terms of facility development, you know, funding in place, um, getting the right structures in place. You know, there's an awful lot of work to be done there. And to be honest, it's probably more, um, it's it's more than a two or three year project to get to, get to that level. I think Kerry, probably the opportunity arose there because there were nine teams in the division. So they kind of rushed things through, but I think we're in a place where we would like to probably build it a little bit more gradually. So, you know, we're not chasing our tails, trying to get stuff over the line and, you know, end up in a whole pile of debt and stuff either. So I think it's very important that it's done very, very gradually and on that basis, you know. I think, yeah, it's, uh, it's, you speak very sensibly there. Um, what would have been your first time in the show, Michael? You may as well stay right at the end. We'll just do the fixtures. First Division, Coveranders, Galway United, Kerry FC, Treaty, uh, Watford, Longford Town, Wexford, Athlone, Finharts, Bray Wanderers, and in the Premier Division. It's a big round of games. Um, Sligo Rovers, um, who I think uh, would be, um, actually, probably would, yeah, would be the local club of Michael. They have an interesting game against uh, sort of an out-of-form Derry. Draw the Shamrock Rovers, big, big game because Pats will be playing Cork City at home. Pats will be looking to narrow the gap possibly to one point. UCD against Shells, Bohemians uh, against Dundalk, and that's pretty much it, Dan. All good, yeah. Uh, thanks to Michael and, and thanks to Mark who was on before, and we will be back next week for a uh, proper European focus I guess but we've got Shamrock Rovers right at Blick would be that first leg would be over before our next show so um, I mean it was good to hear Mark give a bit of perspective and I think we did have a question are we still confident all four teams will go through it does seem like that right at Blick tie is a tricky one Definitely, mm. I wouldn't be underestimating. But as you say, it's you know you're playing against part timers um, from a, an inferior league. So Shamrock Rovers, Stephen Bradley said, no excuses here. We started the, with one guest who was an Englishman. We finish with Michael English. Uh, our sponsors, as ever, Collar and Cuff. Uh, thanks to Decky as ever. Uh, obviously, Rascals Brewery and Inchy Core, and uh, we will be giving away another prize, obviously uh, next week and future ticketing.